Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, how you doing, man? I am doing well. How are you? I'm glad you got your microphone all figured out. Me too. That was a bit of a bit of a debacle for a second. Like I was telling you just a couple or just a minute ago, I went on somebody else's podcast just last week and had a bunch of microphone issues and didn't even realize that they never told me how bad it actually sounded. So I'm glad that you're awesome or honest with me so that we could get that taken care of first. Does it still sound good? Yep. Still sounds good. Cool. Make sure cool. Everything, all the wires stay tight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have you back on for another show, man. I think we've done two episodes so far in terms of just the Q and A's, right? Correct. Cool. So um, for everybody listening, <clears throat> excuse me, for everybody listening, we have Alex on today, who is a coach with Lost and Lifting. Um, if you haven't learned anything about him or know him yet, I'm not going to make him introduce himself every time that he comes onto the show because he's going to be an avid guest. He's going to continue to come on probably every other week um, to throw in some Q&As. We may look to do that even a little bit more in the future. Um, we'll just see how it continues to go for now. But we're not going to reintroduce him every single week. If you want to go back in and learn a little bit about Alex's story and how he became a coach with Lost and Lifting and, and how I hired him and all of his credentials and all of that really cool kind of stuff, go back and listen to the previous two episodes that we've done with him. I made him reintroduce himself on the last episode um, where he did a full introduction on the very first episode. So go back and listen to those and you'll get a little bit more of a deep dive into him and, and where he's come from and how he became a part of the Lost Lifting team and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm not going to make you do that again, because I know that you don't love having to dive into your story every, every time. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things like I've never been like a fan of this, like, here, let, let me sit and like talk about myself for like five, 10 minutes. It just feels like it's like really like weird. Yeah. And like, even though like, I know I have the credentials, like I know my story, like I know like where I'm at today. It's kind of one of those things where I'm just kind of like, I kind of like to dive right in and get going. So, yeah, no, I agree 100%. I was, a, I'm still the same way, but as I started part, like I've been podcasting now for roughly two years, I think it gets more comfortable having to talk about yourself more often, but the first few times you do it, it's, it feels weird because in our natural environment, like day-to-day -day lives, that's not really what we're doing or like focusing on. Right. But the more that you do it, I think the better of a storyteller that, that you become, um, and just the better of a communicator that you become. So I think that is important, like the practice over and over. That's why I like going on other people's podcasts is because I know you're going to get that, that question right up front is like, yeah. tell us about you and tell us your story. And you kind of start to articulate it and find like the important pieces to your story that you want to be able to share with others that have shaped you into who you are. So, so yeah, if you guys want to hear that, go back and listen to it. Um, you'll learn a little bit more about Alex there. But today we've got some questions that we're going to dive into here shortly. Before we get into that, though, I have a couple of questions that um, I'd usually just ask you on our regular phone calls when we're having conversation just about business and life and all that kind of stuff. But I figured we'd just bring it onto the podcast. And I wanted to, to dig into your training a little bit more just in terms of like what you're doing at the moment, because following on social media and stuff, I see that you're 
hitting up CrossFit gyms every now and again, and just doing different kind of stuff. So I'd love just to hear a little bit about that, dude, just in terms of what does your current training look like right now? What are you doing and your focus points and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So actually I am working with, um, Cody Moxley from N1 training. The, the CrossFit stuff wasn't really a part of the program, but sure. it's kind of one of those things where, um, I have a lot of friends and a lot of training partners who have gotten into the CrossFit side of things. Like once it started off as kind of bodybuilders kind of doing more like the kind of bodybuilding style of lifting and then switched over to the CrossFit side, but I still liked training with them. And a few of them were actually about to leave for school. So we kind of just try to squeeze out a, a few last sessions. It's kind of just kind of going back and forth between um, CrossFit and bodybuilding. But now that they're all kind of gone in school now, now it's just kind of solely primarily focusing on um, my own training. And like I said, Cody from N1 is taking care of all that. So he's been having me. Um, so I don't know, like, are, are you familiar with kind of how they do like the different periodization through different like metabolic phases and hypertrophy phases and neurological phases, all different things? Yeah, I've never truly ran it, but obviously Cody's from N1 and and we've brought up, Jeremiah's been on the podcast a lot, right? And we we, okay. we talk about N1 a lot just in our conversations, just because I feel like they've been such a vital piece to like me taking my knowledge in terms of like hypertrophy training, just from like a, a baseline level to more of that experience level. So I definitely have a good understanding of how they periodize things. I've never truly ran one of their programs, but I have a decent understanding of it. Mm -hmm. So I've been with him. I don't remember exactly when I started. I want to say it's been at least like five or six months and essentially the point of their training without just like making this like too boring of a just sciencey kind of nerdy podcast. Um, the point of their phases is they, split it up into neurological phases, metabolic phases, and then hypertrophy phases. And with my main goal being hypertrophy is they're always trying to potentiate one phase into the next. So how can we get this four to six week block of training to potentiate the next? And how can we get that to, you know, so a super easy example would be if I'm going into like a metabolic style of training, utilizing a lot of, you know, movements that train the shortened position, I can now partition nutrients better, I can now produce more blood flow and push deeper into sets as I'm training, which then is going to correlate better or, you know, transition into my hypertrophy phase. If I can handle a great amount of greater amount of food, if I can produce more blood flow in the muscles that I want. And so that's kind of what my training is currently looking like. And now I'm kind of doing a guess kind of like a DLO type of phase where it's a systemic phase where it's just kind of full body not super intense or high, uh, like high intensity, but it's kind of more of like, um, you're going to feel gassed from like a respiratory standpoint at the end of the session, just to kind of bring that cardiovascular component up before we kind of dip back into another phase in the future for hypertrophy. Have you just for the listeners, I, I got a bunch of crap on this on TikTok a while ago. Not everybody knows what hypertrophy means. Um, and that just for you guys listening, that just means building muscle essentially. So like a, a muscle building phase to where you're optimizing, being able to add more lean muscle tissue to your frame. But with all of that, what's your nutrition look like? Because obviously your training is always going to be geared towards maintaining or building more muscle, right? And your nutrition is mm -hmm. kind of the, the steering wheel in terms of, okay, am I focusing on getting leaner? Am I focusing on building, adding more lean muscle tissue to my frame? Or am I in a recomp phase, whatever it may be, what's that been for you? Where has your, your focus been nutrition wise? So nutrition wise, it's kind of been a very, it's kind of like lean, like a lean bulk type of phase where they actually do it in a way too. So 
I know the ordinary way of kind of doing like macros and calories, all these different things is, you know, if you're bulking, you're just going to increase calories, bring those up. If you don't be in the maintenance, you just keep the calories the same. If you don't be in a deficit, you're going to lower calories down. You, you know, you, you know, you want to put the deficit harder. Let's just lower you down. You know, let's just keep the calories down with the way and one does their coaching with their kind of training and nutrition. They change the calories and the macros depending on what style of training that you are currently doing. Mm. So it's not so much the fact that like, oh, I'm in deficit, I'm going to lower calories. It's, hey, I'm doing this style of training. This style of training, you know, requires more nutrients than this other phase. So let's bring the calories up, match the, I don't know what the, like, what the word I want to say is like, almost like the energy expenditure you, you need to accomplish this style of training and, to, you know, to fuel that. So if I'm doing something very like hypertrophy based, I want to make sure that I have enough protein and, you know, carbs to recover from those specific workouts. So if I'm doing kind of more of like a deload thing, like a deload based phase, I'm not going to need as many calories or as many nutrients. So it, it mm-hmm. kind of shifts up and down, but for the most part, I've been around 2,700 up to about 3,100 ish calories, kind of depending on the phase, it kind of, you know, kind of goes up and down protein, carbs, and fats change as the phases go on. Um, and then I kind of do a calorie cycling approach where off days I have a little bit less calories, training days, training days get a little bit higher calories. So are you in doing that one, that sounds, they take things to the next level, right? Yeah, and just in terms of very, everything. that's the thing that gets very individualized for each client. Like that's kind of the thing in why I like working with them. It's like, it teaches me also just kind of like this, how to set the standard for the clients that I coach as well. 100%. So by me going through it, that helps me, you know, train my clients better and help them understand, you know, from their perspective, like how can I explain this to them, you know, to have it make sense. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that anymore. Um, in terms of tracking and whatnot, would you say that you're pretty meticulous with that yourself too? Like in terms of your phases, like, are you weighing out your foods and tracking everything perfectly in, in my fitness pal? Or are you a little bit more intuitive with your approach? What, what's that like? I definitely track, I'd say like 90, 95% of my food. And that's just something for me. I know a lot of people can see it as something that just like, it just takes a lot of time. It gets, you know, monotonous. It just, you know, I don't do this, you know, forever. For me personally, I like knowing where my food is at for the day. It just helps me just like finish the day, just kind of go to bed and be like, I know I hit my calories. I know I'm not guessing. So it actually de-stresses me more by weighing out my food, just by knowing like, okay, I know it's like what I'm eating. And then I follow the same type of rules that I give my clients where, you know, try to be within five to five to 10 grams of, you know, your, uh, you know, your proteins, you know, I try to be within like a plus or minus hundred range for your calories. So I'm not worried about being too exact It's more so like that long-term consistency over time is kind of staying within that ballpark range, but I'm not like beating myself up if I'm over a hundred or 150, you know, 150 calories, you know, one or two days. Yeah. 100%. That makes a lot of sense. I was that same way for a long time. Now I've kind of gotten to the point with dieting and nutrition and whatnot. Like I started doing this stuff when I was 18 years old, right. For myself, for 
super long time. And, and now I'm, whenever I'm starting up a cut or going through like a fat loss phase, I'm obviously tracking everything very, very meticulously. And then as I get to wherever I'm getting, um, and then starting the reverse diet and then tracking up back into like a maintenance level of calories and getting into a slight surplus, like I'll track through that whole piece. And then I just slowly pull away tracking as I get to a point to where, like my metabolism is totally recovered from the fat loss phase. You know what I mean? And back up mm-hmm. to an optimized maintenance run into a slight surplus. And then I start to pull, slowly pull away tracking and just focus on eating more intuitively um, and watching the scale as I go into a slow build over time. Like I've been between the same 170 to 190 pounds over like the last probably three or four years. And every time I get back up to that 190, which I'm currently creeping up on, excuse me, currently creeping up on now, then I'll start to come back down to like that 170, 175 and where I'm Mm -hmm. much bigger and leaner at that point. But I always pull it away just because for me, it does get monotonous, right? I think it's important to talk about that too. Like the longer that you do it forever, tracking shouldn't be the goal forever, but tracking for a good amount of time to really be able to understand nutrition and what that looks like for the long term um, is a key essential to be able to not have to track successfully. At least that's the way that I view it. Mm-hmm. And, and I've definitely gone through, I know like last year I went through like a big phase where I took, I mean, it probably like at least like six, seven months just like away from tracking. Like I just didn't track, but I'd done it enough. Like I've been doing it for, I'd say probably like four or five years now, which isn't like super long, but I was like long enough that- yeah. Like I know what my body kind of needs to kind of maintain, lose or gain if I want to. Um, but now I, you know, I figure out if, you know, if I'm paying for coaching, I might as well absolutely. get the biggest bang, you know, bang of the buck for it. So no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that that's smart. And then like, what you can do it intuitively, it's pretty easy to use the, at least in a gaining phase, like I've been going through for the last year, essentially, it's pretty easy just to use the scale as your guide to know if you're eating enough or if you're eating too much, you know what I mean? If you're right on point, like I've just been aiming slowly for that, like 0.5 to 1.5 pounds gained roughly per month on average. And again, over the last, this whole year, like I started this year at around roughly 180. And I'm just now starting to creep on up close to sustaining up at that 190 ish range. So like I said, yeah, once the longer that you get into it and the more that you've tracked and gotten comfortable and like going through building phases, cutting phases, um, I think you get to a point to where you can just eat more in that intuitive manner through the building phases, unless like you're paying for coaching and you're doing exactly what you're doing. You're trying to optimize things perfectly. But at some point, I think we get a, I'm not so worried, I guess, about optimizing my training and nutrition perfectly at this point in my life. I just have other areas where put so much emphasis on that in the later, the earlier years that now I'm kind of reaping the rewards from it, from not having to optimize it because I'm comfortable in my body composition. And it's not like my main focus of family business, that kind of stuff that takes more. But again, it does take those years up front of investing into really being intentional to get to that point long-term, which I think is what should be the goal for most people in the long run. Would you, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. So I always tell my clients because like I said, a lot of them kind of come in with, with the mindset of this, you know, I've, I've tried this before. It takes a lot of time. It's yeah. monotonous. Like how much does it track when I go out on the weekends? If I have, you know, like if I'm in college, I want to go out on the weekends, you know, all different things is like, it's not realistic for me to, you know, track forever. But it's also one of those things where I think just as like a society as a whole, like just with how with the ease of ease of availability for like to get food like how easy that's become I think our natural kind of like 
eating schedule has been thrown off. And so the only way to kind of really get that back in is to track food for a while, see, you know, what does your daily intake look like? What does one serving of peanut butter look like? What does a serving of grapes look like? All these different things. How do these different foods fit together? How can I fit in a glass of wine with dinner and still stay within my calorie range? Is one of those things where like, if you've been, you know, just kind of doing, you know, intuitive eating for the last 20, 30 years of your life, and like you've never tracked macros before, well, I think a lot of people would be surprised. And probably one of the biggest things that I hear with clients is like, holy crap, like I didn't realize like just how small like one serving of peanut butter was. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it's, it's nice to see that at least for, you know, six months, you know, at, at least I mean, I would tell clients, even if you just track for like a week, like that would get you like pretty far and just like understanding just like how much food actually adds up to be throughout your day. I would agree. I think that that's a really good point too, in terms of how just readily available everything and anything is to us at this point. Like people always say, it's not natural to count your calories. You shouldn't have to count your calories, right? But Mm -hmm. it's not natural to have thousands and thousands of calories in abundance, just like right in front of you that's accessible at all times. And so tracking just allows you to be able to build up that foundation in terms of understanding, okay, this is what portion sizes really look like so that you don't get out of hand and just start eating whatever, whenever you want to, that can lead to a lot of harsh, harsh, um, consequences in the long run. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a good point. I couldn't agree more, dude. Let's, um, let's hop into some of these questions. You down for that? Sounds good. I'm ready. Cool. We've got four questions here for today. We'll see if we get to all four of them. We might only end up with three of them and then roll over one of the other ones, but, um, let's hop into them. So the first one is any tips for increasing your NEAT when you work from home at a desk? And when um, they say NEAT, all that that stands for is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So essentially the activity that you get and the calories that you burn outside of exercise, it's just from your day-to-day, like walking, um, going to the grocery store, fidgeting, all of that kind of stuff. So again, the question is any tips for NEAT or for increasing your NEAT when you work from home at a desk, you can go ahead. Do you by chance, I'm guessing probably not, but do you by chance know like what type of at-home job it is? It just says at a desk. So like, that's a good, that's a, that would be a good, some good talk context to understand as well. But like, let's just say somebody that's at a desk that works at a computer. Okay. So what I would start with is just kind of looking at what does your, I guess it's like average day look like and see my first kind of three focus points would be, is there time before work at, at your lunch break or in the evening after dinner that you could fit in a couple thousand steps? Even, even if it was like 2K before work, 2K at lunch, and then 2K at dinner time, like that itself right there is gonna be 6,000 steps. Um, so I would take a look, you know, 15, 20 minute walk in the morning. Can you do like 15, 20 minutes at lunch? Can you do 15, 20 minutes at dinner or just pick one and do like an hour walk, like after, um, dinner. And it's kind of just setting that intention for the day of like, I'm going to carve out one hour here, my day to just go on a leisurely walk, no set pace, no set like tempo, just go out there and move. That would be kind of my I guess kind of biggest thing to look at there as far as kind of like improving step count. If that's something that she maybe are here, she may be already doing. I know for just cause like we, we obviously both work from home. 
Mm-hmm. We both work at our desks, probably like, you know, all day. So for me, it's, you know, I have the freedom and availability to get up for 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, and just walk around the house. So that's kind of why I asked, you know, what kind of job does, does she have? Do you have the freedom to set an, you know, set, a, set an alarm or set a reminder where every hour you get up and just walk around your house for five minutes and just do some like house laps or something. And then the last thing that kind of comes to mind too. Um, so I take phone calls during the week. And so instead of sitting at my desk during those phone calls, depending on like what type of phone calls they are, obviously like if it's like a Zoom call, probably not applicable. But if it's, if it's just, like a, just like a phone call, like chatting with someone, chatting with the client, whatever it is, I'll actually, if it's not blazing hot outside, I'll take that phone call outside and just walk while I'm on the phone. And so that way, but if it's like a 15, 20 minute conversation, well, now I'm getting 20 minutes, 20 more minutes of steps that I wouldn't have been getting before just sitting at my desk during that phone call. And then one thing I'll add in too, if you do leave the house frequently during the day, I would also say just the simple, this is like the simple thing of like parking further away at the grocery store or just, you know, just those small little extra hundred steps here, extra, extra hundred steps there, those add up throughout the day. So even if it is, even if it doesn't seem like a lot, those things will add up kind of throughout the week. I know those like a lot of things all at once, but that's kind of my things that I think about as I'm going through my day. I agree 100%. I was sitting here writing notes about the things that I wanted to touch on too, as you were saying that, and you nailed on both of them. Parking farther away from the buildings that you're going to go into for the day is one of the easiest hacks in the world. If you're going to the gym, park at the back of the gym. If you're going to the grocery store, park at the back of the grocery store. If you're going to the post office, park at the back of the post office. Those little small um, just intentions can lead a long ways in the long run, right? Those can pay off big time in the long run, just forcing yourself to get those extra steps with a little bit more intention, as well as walks on calls is a huge one. I'm sitting on phone calls a lot of the day as well. And so super easy one for me is just to hop up and go outside. I live in St. George to where the summers are like 120 degrees. So that's not very applicable, but even like in the office, in my office, just standing mm-hmm. up on the calls and just pacing back and forth, getting up and, and moving when you're doing something that's sedentary, that doesn't force you to be sitting at your desk on the computer, just getting up and getting in some intentional walks during that time can be super helpful as well as just as you said i'm just repeating everything that you said because i really don't have anything to add on to it honestly but the last one is what's always worked best for me that helps improve my neat but also just helps me set my intentions and start the day with a uh a better mindset and a better brain is is honestly trying to fit in a morning walk into your morning routine and i know that this isn't um applicable for everybody we all don't have the leisure the just the convenience of being able to get up in the morning and go for a walk first thing, but even just like five or 10 minutes of getting up first thing before you shower anything, get up a little bit early, go for a walk around your neighborhood, a walk around the block. For one, it's going to allow you to get away from your phone a little bit first thing in the morning and just go walk and have to be by yourself and kind of set the intentions for the day, as well as increase your need to set yourself up right from the get of just kind of like subconsciously realizing like, okay, this is going to be an active day. Like I'm setting myself up from success for success right from the start with this small walk, even if it's 500 or a thousand steps, whatever it may be, it's just setting that intention so that later in the day, when you're on a call, it's already on your mind that you've gone for a walk that day. So it's, it's, 
going to be easier with less resistance to hop up and just pace your office if you've already set that intention from the start of the day as opposed to let's say it's like seven or eight o'clock at night you've got two thousand steps and you're thinking oh shit i've got to get another eight thousand steps or whatever it may be which can be extremely daunting and it's going to take an hour to an hour and a half as opposed to starting your day off with that small five ten minute walk just takes that first little chunk out of it and it's going to put your mind in a much better place to be able to push that resistance of getting up during calls or going for a walk at lunch or after work, whatever it may be to actually follow through with that. If you've already started that process earlier in the day, do you have anything to, to add to that? I think that pretty much covers it. You, you crushed it with what you said. I, I think the, I think the biggest thing that just, just kind of add on to like the morning walks that you kind of already mentioned was just the fact that like I started going on morning walks recently and it's not so much the fact that like, oh, I'm getting an extra like thousand steps, but it's just that mental effect that like just starting your day with that small win can have on the whole entire rest of the day. So you wake up, you get 10 minutes of sunshine in, just like the mental benefits from that. Like, I mean, there's even like research on it. Like if you start your day with this like 10 minutes of sunshine, it is it improves the quality of like of life just that much more in that whole rest of the day. So it's not even just, just the steps. It has tons of other, other benefits alongside of it that this people kind of, I guess, don't think about as much because it's just like step, step, steps. But there's a lot of other benefits than just the step count that kind of come along with those morning walks, evening walks for digestion, sleep-wake cycle, mental clarity, all those different things. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree anymore. There's something to be said. First thing in the morning, like, checking something off of your checklist, like one of your goals that you have to get done instead of waking up first thing. I'm super, um, what's the word for it? I can't think of the word I'm going brain dead, but, um, damn, why can't I think of what that word is? It's so simple. That always happens to me. It's like on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it, but I'll get up first thing in the morning and I'll just start looking through my phone. Right. I'll just start looking through my phone and like looking at my social media, seeing what's happening there. And before I know it, I'm like 20 minutes into my day and I've been sitting on my phone and literally got nothing done. And I've, I've woke up in this reactive state because I'm reacting to my socials, commenting back to people as opposed to going to the day, taking that more of that proactive approach taking some time to yourself, setting your intentions, getting out, checking something off of your to-do list, just to start out with a small success, a small win, that's going to be able to lead to that domino effect of more wins of, as opposed to feeling like you're always trying to tread water, or climb the rope to get your day started, as opposed to just starting it right from the start and getting a, a win, a small win checked off, just will get you in such a more confident and positive state of mind to complete everything else that you have to do. I think that covers question one. You want to hop to question two? Yeah. All right. So question number two, I was on a three-month deficit and then took a two-week diet break. Now that I'm back in the deficit, I feel like I'm stalling. Any advice or tips? So I think this depends on where her number or where his or hers calories are currently at within that deficit. Because I could go one of two routes and I could say maybe it, it's just time to push that deficit a little bit harder, add in a little bit of extra neat, add in, you know, add in a little bit extra like just movement to your day. That could be a simple step. So like if you're not already averaging like eight to 10K steps, can we just, you know, add that in? And that's, a, you know, something simple where you're not changing calories, you're not changing training, you're just moving more, hence burning more calories throughout the day. And that could put you into a deficit. Um, you could bring the calories back down, push you deeper into the deficit. 
And then the third thing that kind of immediately comes to mind would be maybe if you've been in deficit for a while, maybe you need longer than two weeks out of a deficit. Maybe you need to spend time reversing back up, spending a couple months on maintenance, and then kind of just giving that last, you know, kind of giving it a, giving it a couple months or, you know, giving it a month or two, and then kind of hopping back down once you've kind of restored your body a little bit kind of metabolically as well as hormonally, it's kind of hard to know exactly kind of without knowing her situation or his or her situation without uh, like to, without knowing specifics, it's kind of hard to say it's kind of where she's where he or she is kind of currently at. But that's what kind of comes to mind for me immediately. I would agree. One thing that I would add to that, that I've seen happen with people is you mentioned that you're on a three month deficit and then you took a two week diet break. Now, after the diet break and coming back into the deficit, you're struggling to lose weight. One thing that I'll find with people is after that diet break, going back into the deficit can be hard just to get your consistency rate back up, right? We always talk about all of the positive effects of a diet break, and it's absolutely needed just for the mental break, as well as bringing your horm- or your hunger hormones back to a better level so that you can manage being in the deficit a little bit better. But mentally, sometimes when you've taken a little bit of that break at the, of the diet break, maybe you weren't tracking or calories were higher and you're a little bit looser with calories. Maybe you're bringing those habits that you've built over the two weeks of being a lot more flexible with food choices back into the diet. And you're not being as on point with your deficit as you were being before. Again, this is something that I see come up quite a bit with people and I always have to warn people of your effort has to be as good in the second phase of your deficit after the diet break as it was beforehand. And if it's not, you can't expect to see that same result come back, right? And it's not that you do this intentionally, but just subconsciously, if you create a little bit more flexibility around the diet break and you come back into it and your, your mindset is still around more, a lot more flexibility with calories and maybe not tracking everything perfectly. If you bring that back into the deficit, of course, you're not going to see progress happen as quickly. So that's the first place that I would look just to make sure that your consistency is there and you're back to eating the same types of foods. Um, your tracking is consistent as it was beforehand. And then from there, I would look at everything Alex just said, potentially you need a little bit of a longer diet break. Um, just to give your, your mental state a a longer break before coming back into it, to be able to get more consistent again, maybe you're just not in it to be able to push as hard as that you need to push. Um, if that's not the case and you're not losing still, and you're on point with everything from that point, then I would absolutely, you're going to have to either look at increasing your activity level to burn more calories through a higher neat, which would just be your step count essentially, um, or adding a little bit more cardio or potentially bringing your calories down a little bit further. And if those things as well feel unrealistic because calories are already pretty low. You're maxed out in terms of what you can handle adherence wise to your activity level, that kind of thing, your amount of workouts that you're doing per week, all of that. Then what I would say is, okay, you're probably in a position now where you need to go back to a maintenance or even into a slight surplus um, for a little bit of time, a slow reverse or a, um, a reverse diet back to a maintenance level, and then even into a slight surplus to start to focus on building muscle for a little bit of times, just to switch up your goals, to, to wash away some of that fatigue and burnout that you have to increase your metabolic rate, add a little bit more lean muscle tissue, be able to come back into a diet and continue to lose on a little bit higher calories. If it's just unmanageable for you to continue decreasing at this point. I think you added a really great point there. Um, and that was kind of the point about matching the, like making sure that the second part of your deficit is matching the accuracy of like the first part of the deficit and not letting the habits of your diet break, being a little bit kind of more lenient, being a little bit more, more flexible foods roll into that second part. Cause that's kind of something that um, I didn't like, that doesn't pop up immediately kind of into my head, but I think it's a really good point. It's something that I have noticed with clients too. And it's, it's something that kind of, I always think about it's 
the closer you get to your goals, the more specific actions you need to take to get to that goal. So like if you have 30 pounds to lose and you've lost 20 pounds, well, those last 10 pounds you lose is probably going to take a little bit more consistency, a little bit more accuracy than like the first 20 pounds, especially if you go from doing like nothing to just like, you know, being better with food choices, tracking kind of here and there, it's like you will lose a little bit of weight kind of in the beginning. But as you kind of keep going, keep going, it has to get more and more specific. And you have to kind of match your intentions with, or like match your expectations with like how much effort you're actually putting in toward your like training, nutrition, need, and kind of all those things. Yeah, I would agree 100%. Like I was saying earlier, before we hopped into the questions where I've kind of gone between 170 pounds to 190 pounds and just tried to improve my body composition within those weight ranges over the last couple of years, when I'm up at 190 pounds to get from 190 to 180, I can be decently loose with my tracking and not have to be super low calorie or like right on point with my tediousness and accuracy and get that go from 190 to 180 relatively easy, right? Where I'm going basically from like a 15, 16% body fat level down to roughly, I would say like a somewhere between 10 to 12%. But if I want to get down to roughly that 170 marker, which is going to get me into really, really high single level digits of body fat or roughly like a 10% body fat level um, to get there, that 180 to 170 takes a hell of a lot more work and more grind and more hunger and more accuracy inside of what I'm doing. And that's, that's a really good point is the second half of your diet to lose the last bit of weight that you may have to lose is always going to be harder than that first bit of weight that you have to lose. Cause your metabolism is going to be slowed down potentially just a little bit. Your body's going to be a little bit more stubborn at this point. Your hunger is probably going to be up just a little bit more. And so basically you have to buckle in right? Like you have to buckle up and be ready for the grind and, and realize what I always tell clients is realize what we're doing right now. Like this isn't your fitness journey forever. So don't get bogged down and feel sorry for yourself that this is hard right now. I think that this is how it's always going to be to use it as an excuse to get off track. Realize that if you can put in a really solid one or two months and just grind through this phase, we're going to be able to get you out of this phase to sustain the body composition that you want to be in with a higher caloric intake, uh, more flexibility in your diet while holding on to this body composition that you've created or, or roughly holding on to it being semi close to the same body fat percentage, right? But to get there, it's going to take this more a harsher sacrifice up front to get yourself in the position to be able to sustain it with more ease in the future. And I think a lot of people forget that, like your first 10, 20 pounds for some really isn't super tough. It's like, oh, that was relatively easy. But then when you get that 30, 40, 50, whatever it may be, and your body fat percentage is getting lower and lower, the more and more your body and your mind are going to fight you on that. And so you have to look at it as a, a bigger challenge. It's going to take even more effort. Mm -hmm. I agree on that. I don't think there's anything else I have to add to that. Well, let's move on then. Question number three, if I'm in a calorie deficit for the whole week, but I go over by one to 2000 calories on one day. Will that affect my progress? My first question would be, what is the cause of needing to go one to two K calories over on the weekends? My immediate thought is there's some level of restriction. And this is something that I see is super common it's restrict, restrict during the week. Cause like, I want to drive this fat loss up. Then you feel so restricted when it comes to the weekend, you go 2k calories over. And then that 2k calories going over on the weekend, that just puts you back at maintenance for the week. So I'd say it depends on 
how hard you're pushing the deficit Monday through Friday. But yeah, like I said, I would question why or what would be causing you to go over kind of one to 2K. Cause like, like 1K is, you know, gonna be quite a bit. 2K is like, okay, what's causing like 2000 calories over on the weekends? And could we, could we maybe like balance that out better during the week potentially? I don't think there's like a yes or no answer. Cause like, I don't know where the calories are at, kind of what the body weight um, point is and kind of what the progress has been looking like. But I'd say if the person has been tracking for a while and has been in this, this kind of this cycle for, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe even like months and they're not losing weight, then I would say it's, yeah, probably something has to change there. I would agree. I think how you have to look at it is <clears throat> let's say, roughly on average, not everybody likes to use this analogy, but it's not even an analogy. It's just a fact, but roughly one pound of body fat is equivalent to around a 3,500 calorie excess. So understanding that is if you put yourself into a deficit of around 3,500 calories for the entire week, meaning you put yourself in a deficit of around 500 calories per day, let's say you're in that Monday through Saturday right? So you end up in a 3000 calorie deficit for those six days, but then you eat an additional 2000 calories over your maintenance level or whatever it may be on that one day out of the week, you've just taken yourself from what could have been a 3,500 calorie deficit down to roughly, let's say a 1500 calorie for the de a deficit for the week, which is going to take you from losing around like that one, maybe 0.75 to 1.25 pounds of body fat potentially in a week down to somewhere closer to like 0.2 to potentially 0.5 are pounds per week instead, which, which one of those is going to keep you more motivated to keep going long-term that 0.2 to 0.5 pounds that you lost in that week with those fluctuations on the scale with water weight, digestion, um, glycogen storage and retention, all of that kind of thing is going to play into that. So you might not even see that loss. And so you're going to feel like you're not making any progress and end up saying, screw it. And your adherence isn't going to be able to be as high long-term because your motivation isn't there because you don't see the work that you're putting in actually paying off. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Can is it going to affect your progress? It's definitely going to slow down your progress as opposed to just staying on point. But at the same time, I think that we have to be smart here and, and realize that like, you're not just going to be able to diet forever. And sometimes that you need to be able to eat more food and everybody's going to come at this from a different, um, a different perspective. Like I look at a guy like Paul Carter, you see how he diets, like he'll yeah. diet super hard for yeah. six days. And then he takes that one day to where he eats an additional, like 8,000 calories, but pe what people don't see is his maintenance probably between three and 4,000 calories. And in the weekdays, he's eating a thousand to 1200 calories or 1000 to 1500 calories to have that one huge day at the end of, um, each week. And that, that can work for some people myself. I honestly follow not that exact protocol, but just like a, a softer protocol of that, I guess, to where I'll diet some, like, I know that my maintenance is roughly around, let's say like 2,800 to 3000 calories, roughly I'll diet harder in the week, Monday through Saturday, I'll diet on like 2000 to 2200 calories so that I can give myself one day out of the week on Sundays, which I'll just call a free day to where all that I essentially do is, um, on that morning, I'll have a light high protein breakfast for lunch, a light high protein lunch, like a big salad that's voluminous. And then for dinner, like we'll go out and just get a high, high carb meal with like some Froyo after I don't necessarily count that day. I know that I'm probably going to be consuming somewhere between like three to 5,000 calories roughly. And I realized that after that one day of consuming more food, um, 
and having that big mill, people will call it a cheat mill. I choose just to call it a refeed or a free mill. Um, I know that my weight's going to be up a little bit from that, but then I can gauge the rest of my week. And if I need to adjust calories there, however needed to keep progress consistent over the long term, that one free day that I give myself for that free meal, it's not even a free day. It's more just a free meal. That one meal uh, gives me the mental, it just gives me like that landmark to shoot for. Like if I can be on point with everything I'm doing through the week, like it gives me that one day, that one meal that I can enjoy myself and have that to look forward to that makes all of this worth it. You know what I mean? With the, with the suppression of calories. And so that works really well for me. Now, what I say, just because that works really well for me, that I'm going to go out and prescribe that to all the clients that I work with. Absolutely not. I prescribe that to very, very little amount of cal- of um, clients that I work with, because that doesn't work for everybody. That can lead to a dicey relationship with food of thinking like you get to reward yourself with these big meals and go out and lead to binge restrict cycles. And I've been through all that kind of stuff in the past and slowly just kind of figured out and, and adjusted things and got it to a point to where my relationship stays good with food, but I can still lose fat and not have to hate my life at the same time. And find out an approach that I can stay consistent with. Right. And that's, again, that's not going to work for everybody. Um, but again, in your situation is the extra one to 2000 calories going to affect your progress. Just as Alex says, it depends. It depends on what you're doing through the rest of the week. If you have calories suppressed more so earlier in the week to be able to include that one to 2000 calories, then you're totally fine. If you're eating in that 500, just a moderate deficit through the week, and then you add an additional one to 2000 calories in unaccounted for on a weekend, well, it's going to cut your progress in almost half for the progress that you're putting in earlier in the week. So you want, you're going to want to look at adjusting or realizing that like, giving yourself a timeline with the light at the end of the tunnel to realize, okay, I'm not going to include these days. I'm going to keep my, my deficit moderate through the week. Um, I'm going to stay on point on the weekends as well with maybe including like a refeed of an additional 500 calories or so just to give myself a little bit of that break. Or what I like to suppress calories deeper Monday through Saturday and get away with that um, and so that I can add that bigger meal later on in the week with maybe not having to account for an additional one to 2000 calories. So it's just so dependent upon the individual for most people. I would always usually say I've found more success with option one. It keeps a relationship with food better it, as meaning keeping the deficit more moderate. Um, but again, as you get more advanced and you start to understand yourself. And as, as I have, I've realized that if I can make the deficit a little bit more extreme on the weekdays and give myself that one free meal. It's, it's, better for me long run in the long term, I can stay more consistent with it. So everybody's different though. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's one of those things that I, it really depends on your relationship with food. Cause like you yeah. met, I know you mentioned Paul Carter where it's for him, it works because, you know, he restricts and actually bought his accelerate carb cycling books just because I was uh, curious as to like what it looked like. And like, I don't want to give away like his equations and stuff, but it's, definitely a very just like restrict 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 yeah and then you're kind of using those days as like okay well i know if i restrict you know these days a couple days from now i get that big day with just you know almost like you know my cheat day where i get to you know almost reward myself but it's also that thing like that same reward day for him which keeps him more compliant could be someone else's downfall and keep them stuck for months and months. And I've seen that cycle keep people stuck for years. So it's a very hit or miss, depending on the person it works with some and could be absolutely terrible for others. So very individualized. I would go as far as saying with that, like, as, as you like that second approach, the approach that I talked about that I use for myself, that's a much more advanced approach. Like you should probably be a much more advanced dieter and have gone through any, because 
gone through any of the dicey relationships with foods that you may have had? Because like being honest, when it comes to your relationship with food, what happens with most people is they'll come in and their relationship with food was so poor for so long. They use food as, as a, a way to deal with emotions and escape, just as you said. And so what happens with a lot of people is like, you're such far an extreme. Well, to be able to get to a balance, usually you have to be able to, you have to almost transport yourself to the other end of the extreme. Right. And almost, and I hate to say this, but almost look at food as more fuel for a little bit of time to bring that balance back to get it somewhere in the center, which can sometimes go a little too far sometimes, meaning that you're going to get to a point to where, okay, now you're, you're not looking at food from a, a healthy standpoint or as much of a balanced standpoint, but you've had to go to that perspective to get out of the perspective of using food as that emotional tool. And then from there, you can kind of get back to that more balanced point because you've evened out and you've been on both sides to kind of find out, okay, this is my middle ground, which takes years, honestly, to get to that point. If you were been in 10, 20, 30 years of using food as an emotional a tool to deal with your emotions, it's not going to take three months to get back to that right balance, right? It's going to take some time to find that right balance for you. And then as you get there with time, um, you can start to look at, and maybe you've gone through some dice relationships with food. Like I had, I got into the binge restrict cycle back in the day and dealt with that for a long time. Um, but as I've got more and more advanced, now I'm at a point, like, a, like we've discussed, I eat the majority of the year, just in more of an intuitive manner, eating around uh, maintenance or slight surplus of calories. And then when I go into deficits, I do go into a little bit more extreme deficits with that one higher free day, because I know that works for me. And I found this right balance that works in my life. And that's what everybody has to go through. And as coaches, it's pretty much our job. Right, is to help people go from whatever extreme or issue that they're in and help them find that balance. But to get to that balance, usually we have to go from, okay, I'm not tracking anything and I'm not worrying about my calories or protein at all to tracking everything for a a decent amount of time to really get to a point to where you're being tedious and you really understand and you build up your knowledge base to find that balance back in the middle of not have of almost getting from tracking everything in an app to being able to track everything in your head successfully and just stay intentional in the long term. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think it's one of those things that, you know, we can't give a direct answer on as I said, like I said, it's a individual scenario, but I would just say, try it, see what happens for a couple of weeks. If it works, then great. You know, keep doing it. If it feels good for you, keep doing it. If you if you feel in a good spot mentally and physically, like keep doing it. If you feel like there is, you know, a better way, there probably is a better way. Um, so I'd say it's kind of something to it's kind of just try for yourself and just see how it goes. I agree. I agree 100 percent man. Well, I've got a like I said, I've got another podcast I've got to hop on here in about five minutes. So that's where we're going to wrap up today. We'll bring this last question on the next podcast that we do here in a couple of weeks. So um, with that, everybody listening, the one ask that we have of all of you guys, as you know, we don't bring sponsorships onto this show or anything like that. We're here just to provide you guys as, with as much value as possible for you to be able to take into your own journeys and your own mindsets to be able to be able to to be able to create better results in the long term. So if you do find value from here, our only ask is that you leave the star the show a star rating as well as a written review. In terms of Apple, that's how they rank your podcast and they push them to more people is by you leaving reviews um, as well as star ratings as well as written reviews um, to show that you are finding value here. So if you guys could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. And for you, Alex, where can people find you if they want to follow along to you on social media? I will leave my Instagram, um, just Alex, A-L-E-X underscore J-O-H-A-N-N-S-S-O-N. 
don't forget the two N's and the two S's or you're going to get get someone completely different. That's not me. Sounds good, man. Well, I appreciate it, Alex. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. All righty. I will be back on in two weeks.